Hallelujah, church. It is a privilege to be here. How good's worship been? And communion. You know what? It really is a privilege for me to uh, be here this morning. And uh, we, we love you guys. And I hope you understand how incredible your pastors are. And I know that Jared just gave me some love and I appreciate that. But um, the, f- the feeling's absolutely mutual. You know, we've, we've known um, uh, Brendan and Margaret and, um, and yourself and your beautiful wife, Ange, for, for a long time now. And I've got to be honest with you, in particular, I remember uh, I, had a, I had a conversation with you. We were at uh, Vapiano's in, uh, at Garden City in Brisbane. And I was talking about uh, my, my kids. I've got a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. And we're going through a season of where to send our kids to school. And can I tell you right now, the best thing you can do when you're thinking about... They, they say there's three ways to learn. You can learn from other people. You can learn from your own mistakes. Or you never learn. Now, the best thing to do is learn from other people. Because life is full of mistakes. And trust me, you can get creative and you can make your own that no one else has made before. But where you can learn from others, you'll have a head start. And I'm so thankful for the conversation. That, that was pivotal for me and for our family and for our kids. I'll never forget that conversation. And that's just one of many conversations. And uh, Jared and Ange, man, you guys are amazing. You guys are absolutely crushing it. And uh, watching, watching you uh, through this season, how you've grown and how you've matured. And I, I'm not saying that as an old guy, like we're both hopefully younger guys. I'm not like, uh, when I saw you when you were young, no, it's more one of those things. But it's been an inspiration, you know. And uh, the church is in great hands in Civic. It's been phenomenal. And uh, I, I feel like we've swapped roles for the first time in a long time. I'm a Parramatta supporter, so uh, Jared's been there to really helped me on the very low points in life over the last, <laughs> yeah, from before most of you were born. But just this one week, we had hope once again, and uh, we swapped places, and I got to extend grace to the Broncos. And uh, finally, Parramatta. I always say Parramatta, going for Parramatta is like being in an unhealthy relationship. There's a promise of change, but it never comes. And, and, and they give you just enough hope to think that there's going to be change again, and then they just cut you out the feet one more time. No, I'm just kidding. But hey, um, I'm praying that this morning that uh, I believe that the word that I have is a word in season, and I'm praying that you'll you'll go on a journey with me this morning. And you know, I understand that. Uh, I understand that uh, I haven't met every single one of you. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. But I know that the Lord has a word in season, and the Lord can use anyone. You know, and every time I get up at at our church in Brisbane, I say that that our prayer is always the same, that we would walk out different to the way we came in. And that's exactly my prayer this morning, that we would all, including myself, walk out different to the way we came in. And the truth is we're here anyway. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be weird. I'm going to notice you walk out, so you might as well stay. And God can do something specific. God can do something special. You're here in the divine purpose of the Lord. The older I get, the more I realize it's less coincidence and more about divine appointments. So what is it that the Lord wants to say to you this morning? Not the person next to you, but yourself. And if you can have your heart open, the truth is it doesn't matter what I say, the Lord can speak. And I believe that he is this morning. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for Civic Church. Thank you that your hand is upon your church. Lord, your hand is upon Toowoomba. Lord, and I pray that this morning... Lord, that the word that you've given me, Lord, would be preached well, that would be heard despite me. Lord, I pray that your word would go out, that we would all have ears to hear, eyes to see. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Why don't you take your seats? You know, I've been reading lately, and every time I read the Scriptures, the Word of God, I've been drawn to Scriptures where the Holy Spirit move. I love it. Like I've been reading through the Old Testament and whether or not you're reading in, in Samuel where it talks about, I love it, where it talks about Saul and he was chasing David. And uh, David was with Samuel at the time and Saul found out and he sent a whole lot of soldiers to go collect David. But as they got close towards David and Samuel, they were prophesying. And when they got close, instantly they began to prophesy. And then when David, I mean, when Samuel, um, Samuel, I'm going through all of them, when Saul heard that they were prophesying and they'd lost track of what they were supposed to do in his mind, he sent another group of soldiers. And when they got close, they began to prophesy. And then he sent another group and they began to prophesy. So after three times, he went himself and he began to prophesy. You know, I love that you spoke about, um, Pastor Brendan, I love that you spoke about uh, John the Baptist this morning because in Luke chapter 1, when John, when, uh, John the Baptist was when, within his mother's womb, Elizabeth's womb, It says, the Spirit of the Lord came to Mary and talked about how she would be giving birth to the Son of God, Jesus, and that her cousin was already pregnant. So she went and saw Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, it said that the the baby inside leapt, John the Baptist leapt, and she began to prophesy. And then Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, began to prophesy. I love it. I get so inspired because every time the Spirit of God came, people prophesied. The community prophesied and they were edified. But you see, in the Old Testament in particular, when someone, when the Holy Spirit came upon someone, it was for a specific time, purpose and place. It was usually for a king, priest or prophet. But in the New Testament, because of what Jesus has fulfilled and the Holy Spirit is here, it's for all time, every moment, every day. We can live in that moment. We don't have to wait for a moment to come for a moment. It's for every day, for all of us, all the time. So when we go from here, I'm praying that we would be so full of the Spirit of God that where we go, we would edify our communities, that we would speak life, that it would set people free. That is my prayer this morning. So I want you to turn to me in John chapter 12. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture that the chances are, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this Scripture read, or more importantly, maybe you've read it yourself in a quiet time with the Lord. The title in my Bible says, Jesus anointed at Bethany. Verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was giving, given in Jesus' honor. Mary served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What a crazy portion of scripture. What an extravagant gift and gesture. You see, theologians would suggest that when someone came to a house, especially like a rabbi, it was common practice that they would be anointed. 
It was common practice that something like that would take place, but not with such an extravagant gift, not with something worth so much. Yes, they would be anointed. Yes, that would take place, but not with something like that. This was extravagant. Can you imagine the smell that would have entered the room when that expensive jar of pure nard would have been broken? Can you imagine the smell? Everything would have changed. People's nostrils, it would have been pungent to the nostrils. They would have known that something was taking place. There was a smell that entered the room. The title of my message this morning is, What's That Smell? What's That Smell? You know, a little while ago, I told you I've got a, uh, I've got a 12-year-old, and uh, Samson, our youngest, he likes to play tricks. And uh, being a 12-year-old, he's still working on his trickery, so his trickery isn't as trickery as he thinks it is. But I remember coming home one night, and I opened the door, and you could smell garlic pouring into the house. And I walk in the room, and I'm like, what is that smell? And I walk towards it, like, Dad. And he starts chuckling. He starts having that little giggle. He's like, Dad, do you want to put on some deodorant? And I'm like, I just got home from a day. Like, you don't, I don't know if you're new to the whole deodorant phrase, but you kind of do it before you leave the home at the beginning of the day. It's not, it's not an antidote for the end of the day. If you are putting deodorant on at the end of the day, I want to encourage you for the sake of everybody around you and your community, do it at the beginning of the day before you leave home. Please. Anyway, so he's like, he's like, Dad, can I, can I? And then I'm like, son. And he's like, okay, okay. And what he did, he poured all my deodorant out and he crushed up garlic and water and put it in there. And he wanted me to spray it because he thought it'd be funny. And I'm like, see, what you've got to understand, one of the many idiosyncrasies I have or fears, unhealthy fears I have, is that one day I, would, I just never want to be the reason why a room is emptied, that I would smell. I've got an unhealthy fear of smell. Like, and I'm, I'm glad to say it's never happened, and Lord, I pray it never will, but I've got this unhealthy, and I'm so glad that I've got a son that knows my fears, my innermost fears, and that he would exploit that for a joke. So it's obviously working on his love and his care for his father. But um, I'll never forget that. I remember one time um, when we were on our way back home from uh, Sydney, and we walked onto this plane, and you could smell only what could be described as someone who had run multiple back-to-back marathons and jumped on the plane without changing, without having a shower, and just lost in their own little world. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that smell? And I'm, you know, you know when you think there's a smell instant, you're like... And I'm doing this over and over again. I look at Sarah, I'm like, babe, can you, can you smell me just in case... And she looks at me and she's shaking her head, it's not you. And I'm like, what? And she just looks and points and she's found the smell of origin where another person has. And this, I'll never forget it, this girl is hanging three quarters out of her chair into the aisle away from this other person that is very unaware that what is protruding from his paws is unhealthy. And she's over there into the, and I saw him at moments raise his arms and it wasn't to the Lord and it wasn't glorifying in any way at that point in time. And, but you know what? Smells, you can, when, when there's a smell that overtakes, it changes atmospheres, doesn't it? You've heard, you've had that statement before. I'm sure you've said it before. What's that smell? And that can either mean something really good or something really bad. I remember coming home, for me coming home, my mum's uh, Singaporean, loved to cook. So for me coming home, what that smell, what was that smell meant that there was something beautiful cooking on the stove. It meant that there was a chicken curry. It meant that there was some noodles being cooked. It was never a roast because we weren't a, 
a, uh, a an Aussie family. My my parents didn't know how to use an oven back in those days. My my dad's Indian African. My mum's Singaporean. Like a roast just wasn't part of the heritage I had growing up. In fact, if there are any Asians out there, you would get me in this. They don't know what to do with an oven. Our oven was simply there to add extra dishes in for storage. <laughs> True story. We used to actually, our next door neighbours used to love, uh, used to make roasts and we used to make these curries. So I used to go swap with them, with the adults. It was amazing. But you'd smell it when there was a nice smell, it would overtake the house and you would get so excited, so hungry. But then there would be other types of smells. You know the types of smells that I'm talking about. Smells that when you drive past a rubbish tip or when someone's forgotten to take out the bin or something has died and you don't know what's died, but you know something has died. There are smells that change and there are atmospheres that change when smells are there. People have smells, good or bad. Homes have smells. Spiritually speaking, churches have smells. You know, when I walk in a Civic, you know the smell that I, that I experienced? I had someone greet me at the front door, a little bit crazy I might add, in a t-shirt. Get a jumper, mate, seriously. <laughs> Look at Jared, it's not summer, mate. Got this cool shirt on, chilling out. It's cold. (laughs) But there are different smells. Different, different smells. And here in John chapter 12, a smell had just overtaken the room. But to understand, to truly understand this portion of Scripture, there are many things we have to understand. Who's Mary? I mean, where did she come from? What's her deal? What's the context of the story? In what time of history did this take place? And as we understand all these things, the context, the history, the time in place, it gives a great understanding to, give a, to understand the multitude, the magnitude of what is taking place in this portion of Scripture. So this morning, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to unpack three portions of Scripture. And as we do that, my prayer is that we would learn a little bit more. And as I mentioned, we would walk out those doors different to the way we came in. Amen? So the first thing we're going to understand is that history teaches us that in the time when Jesus walked on the earth, it was the best and worst of times. I mean, when Jesus walked upon that earth in that time in history, it was the best and worst of times. The best of times because people were hungry for the Messiah. They couldn't wait. They were hungry. They were praying for the Messiah to come. They couldn't wait for him to come. And Jesus walked the earth. I mean, can you imagine living in a time when Jesus physically walked the earth? Imagine being there on the mount when Jesus gave his famous Sermon on the Mount. Imagine being there. Imagine watching these miracles take place. Imagine watching people come from everywhere. Imagine watching a few loaves of bread and two fish feed thousands of people. It would have been incredible. Imagine living, being present when Jesus walked the earth. You can understand why it would have been the best of times. But it was also the worst of times because of the oppression that the people of God experienced. See, they were under the Roman Empire, under the Roman rule. And the Roman rule was oppressing them. So much so that a few years before Jesus was born, just five to six kilometers away from where he was born, the chances are where you live is five to six kilometers away from where we are right now. So not far away. There was a little uprising that took place. And it was met with such extreme force that the entire village where the uprising took place was burnt to the ground and any survivors were sold into slavery. Can you imagine a community of farmers, which is what most of them were back then, which meant that they had land, they had an inheritance for their children's children, 
Imagine a, a, a generation going from wealth into slavery. Imagine the generations that came after that. They were all slaves because of what took place. So you can imagine that it was the best of times, but it was also the worst of times because of the fear that took place. So you can imagine when Jesus came onto the scene and started healing people, when he started performing miracles, when he started to explain scriptures that people didn't understand and he made it so easy for them to understand. You could imagine the whispers that would have spread like wildfire. Is this the Messiah? Has he come? Is he going to free us? You can imagine the excitement that would have taken place within people. They would have been so excited. They would have leapt for joy. It makes sense that people came from everywhere to hear Jesus. But unfortunately, it also makes sense that there would have been genuine fear. It makes sense that you would have had some leaders fearful because what happens if it wasn't the Messiah and people are coming from everywhere? What happens just before they knew what happens when an uprising takes place? What would happen to the town in which Jesus came to if he wasn't the Messiah? Would it be burnt to the ground? You see, the sad thing in this moment is that they were so concerned and overcome with fear that they missed the Son of God. They missed God moving in their midst because they were overcome by fear. What ruled them was fear, not faith. So now that we understand, now that the stage is set, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. It's the first time we hear about Mary. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, it was very common in that day for people to open up their homes for rabbis. So we don't actually know whether or not Mary and Martha knew that Jesus was the Son of God, was the Messiah, or whether or not they simply knew Jesus to be a rabbi. Because in those days, as I mentioned, it was common. In fact, it was invited. People loved having rabbis come stay at their home and teach the people. In fact, there was a well-known phrase in the time, let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis and cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. That was attributed to one of the earliest rabbinic teachers who lived in the second century, Jose ben Yozer. See, we don't even know whether or not Mary and Martha knew who Jesus actually was. We don't know that. But what we do know is they recognized that he was a rabbi and just happened to be the rabbi of rabbis, the son of God. But there are a few things we can learn. First of all is this, that we need both Mary and Martha's. You know, we can get so caught up in, in having a go and, and we, we, we kind of have a go at Martha going, oh, Martha, oh my gosh, you chose the wrong one. But the truth is we need Mary and Martha's. You know, this week is volunteer week and one of the things that we have that is so dear to our church is that we are a Mary and a Martha church. We're a Martha and a Mary church, the same way we are here at Civic. Because in order to have people sitting at the feet of Jesus, we really do need Martha's, don't we? The only way that this takes place is because we have an incredible team of people that got here early to play the drums, play the keys, worship lead, did a brilliant job, I might add, get here early to help set the microphones up. We're sitting in here, put up your hands if you've got kids. 
How amazing are kids? And thank God for the kids team that allow us to sit in here where our kids are being not only babysit, but being taught the things of God. They're being discipled. It's amazing. All this takes place because there are Marthas. So what it teaches me is that we need Mary and Marthas. It's most important, the first thing you talk to Brandon, you talk to anyone, the most important thing is that we first and foremost sit at the feet of Jesus. The most important thing you can do is be filled in because you need to be filled in in order to be poured out. But once you're filled in, can I encourage you? I think we've got to change our mentality and sometimes we forget this. We don't graduate from serving, we graduate to serving. As we mature in our Christian faith, as we honestly take Jesus as our greatest example, what did he say? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. As we continue to grow, because there is a city, Toowoomba, to be reached for the Lord. There is a state, Queensland, to be reached. There's a nation in Australia to be reached. And the only way we're going to continue to reach people is to have Mary and Martha's, that we would choose a service to sit at the feet of Jesus. But then once we are fed, that we would turn into a Martha at another service and we would set the table for others to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's why community is so important because we are better together. We need each other. So can I encourage you, if you're not already serving, why don't you have a, why don't you have a think about it, have a pray about it, read scriptures for yourself or talk to someone at the kiosk. You don't need to grab a microphone. There are many different ways in which you can serve that would work for your personality. But have a chat to the team. We're better together. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn through this portion of Scripture, how easy it is to be in the presence of God and miss God. We've got to be careful that we don't get caught doing things for the Lord but forget the Lord. You know, in the year 2000, I went to Bible college, and I remember at the, uh, there was orientation, and the, one of the lecturers got up, and he encouraged us and said, do not forget to make sure that in the midst of learning about the Lord, that you spend time with him. Because going to college doesn't make you a Christian. Learning about God doesn't make you a Christian. Having a personal relationship with Jesus does. Walking with Jesus daily. He went on to say that statistically speaking, around the globe, people that go to college, there is a high percentage of people that fall away from God. And I'll never forget that. Why? Because we can get so caught up learning about the Lord or being in the presence of God... That we, sorry, being around God, but we forget that we're in the presence of God. Got to make sure that we identify and that we are intentional about having time with the Lord daily, sharpening ourselves, growing together. That's why connect groups are so important. Being in community is important. All right, you still with me? The second portion, second time we read about Mary is in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 17, but. By the time you get to verse 17, a few things have happened. You see, Lazarus, who you'll find about, was uh, Mary and Martha's brother. He became really sick and he was dying. So Mary and Martha sent some people to Jesus to say, you need to come because I need you to pray for my brother so he doesn't die. In fact, she went so far to say, don't forget to say to Jesus, the one you love. There was a little bit of manipulation going on there. You do whatever you need to at those moments, right? It's like, you remember, tell Jesus it's the one he loves. <laughs> if he loves, he needs to come. But Jesus heard it and he simply said, this won't lead in death. And he went about his thing and he didn't come straight away. And as you fast forward, Lazarus actually died. So people, murmurs start to spread, is is Jesus actually the Messiah? Did he miss it? Did he get it wrong? What's going on? So there's mourning. So we're going to pick it up in verse 17 
after, after Lazarus has actually died. <clears throat> so on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had, uh, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God will give you what you ask for. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. He is asking for you. When Mary Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house to comfort her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved by the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he have not, uh, could Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there three, four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up to the Father and said, I thank you, Lord, that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, there's so many portions, there's so many things we can take from this portion of scripture. The fact that Jesus cared, I mean, cared so much that he knew what was about to take place. He knew that it wasn't going to end in death, but he stood there and he stayed there and he sat with them and he wept and he mourned with them because he felt their pain. I love that we have a saviour that loves us and will meet us where we are. He's not removed. He's not somewhere else thinking, oh my gosh, get it together. I told you this wouldn't end. He doesn't have a go at them. He doesn't rebuke them. He sits there and he meets them in their current need. And I love that. Whatever you're going through, Jesus will meet you in your current need. He's there for you. There's so much to learn in this portion of Scripture. All the fact that this is a foreshadowing foreshadowing of what was to come. There's so many parallels between Lazarus and Jesus. In just a little while, Jesus would be the one in the tomb. And the stone would be rolled away. And when Jesus came out, he conquered the grave and he reconnected humanity with the Father. There are so many things we can learn. But you know the thing that shouts the loudest to me in this portion of Scripture? Is what do we do when we're in trouble? What do we do when we need someone? When desperate, who do you call for? 
Who do we call for when we're desperate? Because you know what Mary and you know what Martha called for? They called for the Savior. They called for Jesus. Who do we call for when we're in trouble? Because there are so many things. You know, I genuinely believe that the making of who we are, what really counts, isn't in the good times, it's in the bad times. Because when we're good, everything's good. You can say whatever you want when things are good, but when we're down, when we've been hit, when we feel like the legs have been taken out, when we feel like people have broken our legs and we can't walk, I think it's in those moments that we find out who we really are and what we're really made of. What do we turn to when we're desperate? Do we turn to our old ways? Do we turn to who we were before? Or do we continue to trust in the Lord? That's why community is so important. You know, I remember a little while ago, I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, call me and say that, um, that their wife had um, just had a stroke and could we pray? And you know what? Instantly the community surrounded this family. Instantly we were able to help. Instantly we were able to do whatever we could. I mean, we had people fly over to them. We offered to fly over to them. We spoke almost every day. We prayed for them because community is important. Can I tell you, when you go through something, when something happens, who are you going to turn to? Do you hide it to yourself? Because that never goes well. Or do you share it with your community? And that's why it's so important to build in community now. Because then when it's needed, you have a community. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you've already made a decision to be in church. You've made a decision to be in community. Can I tell you that is the best decision you can make? I called another friend yesterday because we had someone that was dealing with some addiction. And I called a friend who's a professional and said, what's the best thing I can do to help this person? And he said, the best thing you can do is make sure they're in community. That's the best thing you can do. From there, there's a whole bunch of professional help they can get. But what they really need is a community. We all need community. We're better when we're in community. Make a decision to be in community. Because then when you're desperate, the thing that you'll cry out for are people that are going in the same direction, people that will drag you up, not drag you down, not pull you down. Find a decision to be in community. All right, I want to go back to, now I want to go back to John chapter 12, and we're going to read it one more time. Now with a greater understanding. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Can you imagine that? Imagine Lazarus reclining at a table with Jesus, knowing that he was dead just a little while ago. He was wrapped in linen cloth. He smelt real bad. And now he's sitting at the table, eating, celebrating with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You can get the, we can get the team to come up. You know, Jesus spoke into what was to come, his burial. They didn't understand it yet, but he was speaking into his burial. But there's another thing that scriptures don't 
talk about or Jesus didn't speak into. Because if you understood the context of the day, it didn't need to be spoken into, but everybody knew exactly what was taking place. Everybody knew exactly what was being said without being said. And that was in that one moment, Mary was declaring Jesus as king. She was making a declaration for everybody to hear, to see, and to smell. I want to read you this portion. It's from the book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. The author gives an insight into this moment. The Hebrew word for Messiah is Meshiach, which literally means anointed one. The word Messiah alludes to the ceremony used to set apart someone chosen by God, like a king or a priest. Instead of being crowned during a coronation, Hebrew kings were anointed with sacred oil perfumed with extremely expensive spices, only used for consecrating objects in the temple and for anointing kings and priests. The sacred anointing oil would have been more valuable than diamonds. The marvelous scent that it left behind acted like an invisible crown, conferring an aura of holiness on its recipients. Everything and everyone with that unique fragrance was recognized as belonging to God in a special way. In the Middle East, the majesty of a king was expressed not only by what he wore, his jewelry, his robes, but by his royal aroma. Even after a king was anointed, he would perfume his robes with precious oils for special occasions. You see, when Mary was anointing Jesus, she was declaring him as Messiah King, Son of God, Savior of the world. In anointing Jesus, she was making a statement that was crystal clear to everybody, that he was, in fact, the Son of God. You know, from that moment, everywhere Jesus went, there was an aroma. Everywhere Jesus went from that moment, people could smell. People could smell. Sorry if you don't like aftershave, but it smells good, trust me. But um, everywhere that they went, every single place where he went. You know, when he was at Gethsemane, when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, you know that they would have smelt him before they saw him. And you know what they would have smelt? They would have walked in going, wait a second. We're in the presence of royalty. What's that smell? Who's here that we don't know about? Because the only times they would have smelt something so extravagant, so expensive, would have been in the presence of royalty. So when Mary made this incredible decision to spend a year's wage, she was declaring him. So everywhere he went from then on, everyone would recognize that they were in the midst of royalty. So when he stood before Pilate, you know what Pilate would have realized? Wait a second. Someone royal is here. There's a king in the presence. It would have messed with everyone's mind because they saw Jesus, but they knew there was something different. Can you imagine what it would have been like when Barabbas came out? When they're saying, who do you choose? Barabbas is standing there going, I smell a king. I'm in the presence of royalty. Why are you choosing me? I'm in the presence of royalty. Can you imagine what it would have been like when the centurions were nailing Jesus to the cross? They would have been like, what is going on? I'm in the presence of royalty right now. Are you getting this, church? When we understand who Christ is, we understand the fragrance of Christ. Everything changes. You know why Mary did that? Because when she realized once and for all that Jesus was king, we don't know whether or not Mary understood that Jesus was the Messiah when they opened up their home 
or whether or not she was just excited to have a rabbi sitting and sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of a rabbi. We don't know yet whether or not they truly understood whether or not Jesus was the Messiah when they asked him to come pray for their brother. He could have just been a prophet that healed people. We don't know, but what we do definitely know is that when she broke that expensive oil and she poured it on Jesus' feet, she was making a declaration saying, you are the Messiah, the anointed one. It was an offering of thankfulness. And when we understand when the penny drops, everything changes. When we truly understand who Jesus is for our lives, everything changes. We go from, I need to read the Bible to, I need to read the Bible because I know it's going to change my life. You know what happens when we get that revelation? Our life breaks open and we start to smell like Jesus. We go from smelling like death, which is what happened to Lazarus. Remember what it says? Don't open that, don't roll the stone away. It smells like death. We go from smelling like death to the fragrance of life, the aroma of Christ. When we go into our Mondays, because you know what Sundays are for us, church? It's a day that we're empowered. It's a power that it's a day that we're invested into. Why? So when we can go into our Mondays, we outwork the kingdom of God. This is a refilling to be poured out again. When we go out into our work week, when we go into our Monday, do we smell like Jesus? Can people smell the difference? When we walk into a room, can people go, wait, wait, what's that smell? Something's different. Because when we're close to Jesus, everything changes. We smell like Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Do we smell like Jesus? Do we understand what Jesus did? Have we had that revelation? Has the penny dropped for you yet? And if it has, are we walking a different life? Are we walking as Jesus walked? Are we talking as Jesus talked? Do we pray prayers like, Lord, let me hear like you hear. Let me see what you see. Holy Spirit, I want to smell like you. All of this just isn't for us to feel good. It's so when we go out there, we are empowered. So we smell different. So we lead people from darkness into life. It's all for a purpose. And when Mary got that revelation, everything changed. Have you had that revelation? Are you walking with Jesus? Where do you stand with your relationship with the Lord? Because as we talked about earlier, going to church, it actually doesn't make you a Christian. Walking with Jesus does. Where do you stand with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder if everyone could just bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to give everyone in this room an opportunity to make their peace with God, to truly walk out different to the way you came in, in Jesus' name. So I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, every single one of you here this morning that are saying, Nick, I need you to pray for me. I want Jesus. I want you to raise your hand along with everyone else that's making this same decision. They're saying, Nick, I want Jesus. I want you to pray for me. So one, maybe you've made this decision before. Maybe once upon a time, you were walking with the Lord. But if you're honest with yourself right here, right now, You're not walking with Him. You know what? Life throws curveballs. We know that. Things happen in life that we never thought would happen to us. And maybe through one of those life, those curveball moments, we took an exit off the freeway. And I get it. It happens. 
But if you're honest with yourself right now, you're not walking with Him. But the great news is you're one prayer away from realigning your life with Christ. And you might not realize it or not, but He's been pursuing you from the moment you took that exit. And He loves you and He's been pursuing you relentlessly because He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's desperate for it. Or two, maybe you've never made a conscious decision to give ownership of your life to Christ. And you're here this morning and you're like, I hear you talking about it. I know there's something going on. I can guarantee you that pull in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit saying He wants relationship. You know, you can have peace that transcends all understanding. And I can guarantee if you're not walking with Jesus, I can guarantee you've been searching for peace, but I can guarantee you haven't found it because that peace in which you're searching for will only ever be found in relationship with Jesus. It's peace that transcends all understanding. Not peace in the absence of trial, but peace in the middle of it. It's with Jesus. So if that's you, whether you're coming home, you're realigning your life with Christ, or you're starting this journey for the first time. When I get to three, why don't you raise your hand along with everyone else that's making this decision. I would love to pray for you. So one, two, three. Just put your hands straight up so I can see you. Awesome. I see you. Hands down the front, up the back, along the back there, down the front here, over there, over here. Awesome. Great decision. So many hands. Lord, I thank you that you see these hands, people signifying that they want relationship with you. Lord, that they want this decision to be real. They want it to change their life. Lord, I thank you that you promised to us you would never leave us, you would never forsake us. You'll always be there for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that you live, for the sacrifice that you made so we could have life and life to the fullest. In Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. Look, I'd love you to repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer of asking Jesus into your heart. And if you've already made this decision, you're walking with Jesus, why don't you say it along in support of these people that are making a life-changing decision this morning. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning, I acknowledge my need of you. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made, for the sins that I've committed. But I thank you, Jesus, that you wash me clean, that you make me new. And I thank you that from this moment, I am a Christian. Christ died for me. And I have a future and a destiny and a hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate with those people the greatest decision you can ever make? It's the greatest. We're so excited for you. I'll never forget the time I made that decision. And the reason why they're celebrating is because they remember that too. And we want to celebrate with you. As a church, we want to celebrate with you. But more so, We want to help you with this decision. Whatever we can do, however we can help, we would like to try. So on the way out, there's a kiosk out there. And if you made that decision and you'd like to talk to someone, and I'd encourage you to do so, have a chat with someone at the kiosk and we would love to have a conversation with you and talk about some next steps on how to help with the decision that you've just made. And sometimes the best thing you can do is simply just telling someone, hey, I made that decision. You know why? Because that's what community does. We share, we're honest, we're vulnerable, and we grow together. We celebrate with each other, but when someone's in the valley, we're also there to support. So make sure you talk to the team out there. They would love to celebrate with you, but great decision. For all of us, church, can we make a decision that we would smell like Jesus once we get the revelation and an understanding of what Jesus did for us? Let's give Him our best. 
And let's walk into our Mondays knowing that as we do and as we follow Christ and as we smell like Jesus, we're going to draw people from darkness into light. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Come on.